Chapter One of A Visit to Three Fronts, June of nineteen sixteen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Visit to Three Fronts, June nineteen sixteen, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter One A Glimpse of the British Army. Part One it is not an easy matter to write from the front you know that there are several courteous but inexorable gentlemen who may have a word in the matter and their presence imparts but small ease to the style but above all you have the twin censors of your own conscience and common sense which assure you that if all other readers fail you you will certainly find a most attentive one in the neighborhood of the hot quartier an instructive story is still told of how a certain well-meaning traveller recorded his satisfaction with the appearance of the big guns at the retiring and peaceful village of Jemai, and how three days later, by an interesting coincidence, the village of Jemai passed suddenly off the map and dematerialized into brick dust and splinters. I have been with soldiers on the warpath before but never have I had a day so crammed with experiences and impressions as yesterday. Some of them, at least, I can faintly convey to the reader, and if they ever reach the eye of that gentleman at the Hop Quartier, they will give him little joy, for the crowning impression of all is the enormous imperturbable confidence of the army and its extraordinary efficiency in organization, administration, material, and personnel. I met in one day a sample of many types an army commander a corps commander two divisional commanders Staff officers of many grades and above all I met repeatedly the two very great men whom Britain has produced the private soldier and the regimental officer Everywhere and on every face one read the same spirit of cheerful bravery even the half-mad cranks whose absurd consciences prevent them from barring the way to the devil seem to me to be turning into men under the prevailing influence i saw a batch of them neurotic and largely bespectacled but working with a will by the roadside they will volunteer for the trenches yet if there are pessimists among us they are not to be found among the men who are doing the work there is no foolish bravado no underrating of a dour opponent but there is a quick alert confident attention to the job in hand which is an inspiration to the observer these brave lads are guarding britain in the present see to it that britain guards them in the future we have a bad record in this matter it must be changed they are the wards of the nation both officers and men socialism has never had an attraction for me but i should be a socialist to-morrow if i thought that to ease a tax on wealth these men should ever suffer for the time or health they gave to the public cause get out of the car don't let it stay here it may be hit these words from a staff officer give you the first idea that things are going to happen up to then you might have been driving through the black country in the walsall district with a population of aldershot let loose upon its dingy roads put on this shrapnel helmet that hat of yours would infuriate the bosch now, this was an unkind allusion to the only uniform which i have a right to wear take this gas helmet you won't need it but it is a standing order now come on 
we cross a meadow and enter a trench here and there it comes to the surface again where there is dead ground at one such point an old church stands with an unexploded shell sticking out of the wall a century hence folk will journey to see that shell then on again through an endless cutting it is slippery clay below i have no nails in my boots an iron pot on my head and the sun above me i will remember that walk ten telephone wires run down the side and here and there large thistles and other plants grow from the clay walls so immobile have been our lines occasionally there are patches of untidiness shells says the officer laconically there is a racket of guns before us and behind especially behind but danger seems remote with all these burn father groups of cheerful tommies at work around us i pass one group of grimy tattered boys a glance at their shoulders show me that they're of a public school battalion i thought you fellows were all officers now i remarked no sir we like it better so well it will be a great memory for you we're all in your debt they salute and we squeeze past them they had the fresh brown faces of boy cricketeers but their comrades were men of a different type with hard strong rugged features and the eyes of men who have seen strange sights these are veterans men of mons and their young pals of the public schools have something to live up to up to this we have had only two clay walls to look at but now our interminable and tropical walk is lightened by the sight of a british aeroplane sailing overhead numerous shrapnel bursts are all around it but she floats on serenely a thing of delicate beauty against the blue background now another passes and yet another all morning we saw them circling and swooping and never a sign of the bosch they tell me it is nearly always so that we hold the air and that the bosch intruder save at early morning is a rare bird a visit to the line would reassure mr pemberton billing we have never met a british aeroplane which was not ready to fight said a captured german aviator the other day there is a fine stern courtesy between the airmen on either side each dropping notes into the other's aerodromes to tell the fate of missing officers had the whole war been fought by the germans as their airmen have conducted it i do not speak of course of the zeppelin murderers a peace would eventually have been more easily arranged as it is if every frontier could be settled it would be a hard thing to stop until all that is associated with the words cavell zeppelin wittenberg lusitania and louvain had been brought to the bar of the world's justice and now we are there in what is surely the most wonderful spot in the world the front firing trench the outer breakwater which holds back the german tide how strange that this monstrous oscillation of giant forces setting in from east to west should find their equilibrium here across this particular meadow of flanders how far i ask one hundred and eighty yards says my guide pop remarks a third person just in front a sniper says my guide take a look through the periscope i do so there is some rusty wire before me and then a field sloping slightly upwards with knee-deep grass and then rusty wire again and a red line of broken earth there is not a sign of movement but sharp eyes are always watching us even as these crouching soldiers around me are watching them 
There are dead Germans in the grass before us. You need not see them to know they are there. A wounded soldier sits in a corner nursing his leg. Here and there men pop out like rabbits from dugouts and mine shafts. Others sit on the fire step or lean smoking against the clay wall. Who would dream to look at their bold, careless faces that this is a front line, and that at any moment it is possible that a gray wave may submerge them? With all their careless bearing, I notice that every man has his gas helmet and his rifle within easy reach. A mile of front trenches, and then we're on our way back down that weary walk. And then I am whisked off upon a ten-mile drive. There is a pause for lunch at Corps headquarters, and after it we're taken to a medal presentation in a market square. Generals Monroe, Haking, and Landon, famous fighting soldiers all three, are the British representatives. Monroe with a ruddy face and brain above all bulldog below, Haking pale, distinguished, intellectual, Landon a pleasant, genial country squire. An elderly French general stands beside them. British infantry keep the ground. In front are about fifty Frenchmen in civil dress of every grade of life, workmen and gentlemen, in a double rank. They are all so wounded that they are back in civil life. But today they are to have some solace for their wounds. They lean heavily on sticks. Their bodies are twisted and maimed, but their faces are shining with pride and joy. The French general draws his sword and addresses them. One catches words like honneur and patrie. They lean forward on their crutches, hanging on every syllable which comes hissing and rasping from under that heavy white moustache. And then the medals are pinned on. One poor lad is terribly wounded and needs two sticks. A little girl runs out with some flowers. He leans forward and tries to kiss her, but the crutches slip and he nearly falls upon her. It was a pitiful but beautiful little scene. Now the British candidates march up, one by one, for their medals, hail hearty men, brown and fit. There is a smart young officer of Scottish rifles, and then a selection of Worcesters, Welsh Fusiliers, and Scots Fusiliers, with one funny little Highlander, a tiny figure with a soup-bowl helmet, a grinning boy's face beneath it, and a bedraggled uniform. Many acts of great bravery, such was the record for which he was decorated. Even the French wounded smiled at his quaint appearance, as they did at another Briton who had acquired the chewing-gum habit, and came up for his medal, as if he had been called suddenly in the middle of his dinner, which he was still endeavouring to bolt. And then came the end with the national anthem. The British regiment formed fours and went past. To me that was the most impressive sight of any. They were the Queen's West Surreys, a veteran regiment of the great Ypres battle. What grand fellows! As the order came, eyes right, and all those fierce dark faces flashed round about us, I felt the might of the British infantry, the intense individuality which is not incompatible with the highest discipline. Much they had endured, but a great spirit shone from their faces. I confess that as I looked at those brave English lads, and thought of what we owe to them, and to their like who have passed on, I felt more emotional than befits a Briton in foreign parts. And now the ceremony was ended, and once again we set out for the front. It was to an artillery observation post that we were bound. 
and once again my description must be bounded by discretion suffice it that in an hour i found myself together with a razor-keen young artillery observer and an excellent old sportsman of a russian prince jammed into a very small space and staring through a slit at the german lines in front of us lay a vast plain scarred and slashed with bare places at intervals such as you see where gravel pits break a green common not a sign of life or movement save some wheeling crows and yet down there within a mile or so is the population of a city far away a single train is puffing at the back of the german lines we are here on a definite errand away to the right nearly three miles off is a small red house dim to the eye but clear in the glasses which is suspected as a german post it is to go up this afternoon the gun is some distance away but i hear the telephone directions mother will soon do her in remarks the gunner boy cheerfully mother is the name of the gun give her five six three four he cries through the phone mother utters a horrible bellow from somewhere on our right an enormous spout of smoke rises ten seconds later from near the house a little short says our gunner two and a half minutes left adds a small voice which represents another observer at a different angle raise her seven five says our boy encouragingly mother roars more angrily than ever how will that do she seems to say one and a half right says our invisible gossip i wonder how the folk in the house are feeling as the shells creep ever nearer gun laid sir says the telephone fire i'm looking through my glass a flash of fire on the house a huge pillar of dust and smoke and then it settles and an unbroken field is there the german post has gone up it's a dear little gun says the officer boy and her shells are reliable remarked a senior behind us they vary with different calibers but mother never goes wrong the german line was very quiet pourquoi il répond pas asked the russian prince yes they are quiet today answered the senior but we get it in the neck sometimes we're all led off to be introduced to mother who sits squat and black amid twenty of her grimy children who wait upon and feed her she's an important person is mother and her importance grows it gets clearer with every month that it is a she and only she who can lead us to the rhine she can and she will if the factories of britain can beat those of the hun see to it you working men and women of britain work now if you rest for ever after for the fate of europe and all that is dear to us is in your hands for mother is a dainty eater and needs good food and plenty she's fond of strange lodgings too in which she prefers safety to dignity but that is a dangerous subject one more experience of this wonderful day the most crowded with impressions of my whole life at night we take a car and drive north and ever north until at a late hour we halt and climb a hill in the darkness below is a wonderful sight down on the flats in a huge semicircle lights are rising and falling they're very brilliant going up for a few seconds and then dying down sometimes a dozen are in the air at one time there are dull thuds of explosions and an occasional rat-tat-tat i have seen nothing like it but the nearest comparison would be an enormous ten-mile railway station in full swing at night 
with signals winking lamps waving engines hissing and carriages bumping it's a terrible place down yonder a place which will live as long as military history is written for it is the ypres salient and what a salient it is too a huge curve as outlined by the lights needing only a little more to be an encirclement something caught the rope as it closed and that something was the british soldier but it is a perilous place still by day and by night never shall i forget the impression of ceaseless malignant activity which was borne in upon me by the white winking lights the red sudden glares and the horrible thudding noises in that place of death beneath me End of chapter one